Good morning. Are you thankful for the love of the Lord this morning? Let's stand together this morning and just praise him and worship him. Give him the glory that's due to his name.
failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you today for freedom. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that you've set us free, Lord, by the cross. And Lord, we can come this morning, Lord, and just lay it all at your feet and trust you, Lord God. You are faithful yesterday, today, and forever. And we give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.
mighty age after age and all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always hallelujah we thank you Lord we thank you for your faithfulness God Lord you have remained the same yesterday today and forever God and we thank you that we can count on you Lord God, to, to be the faithful, steady, the rock in our life, oh God. We thank you that we built our lives upon it. Hallelujah, Lord. We're amazed by you today, Jesus.
here am I, so here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to sing it one more time. right now. Here I am, not having any agenda. Here we are just to worship you, just to give you honor. Here we are just to praise your name. Here we are just to give you thanks. Here we are to speak your wonderful name, Jesus. Here we are today. Lord, let that be the prayer of our heart this morning, that we are here to please, to honor, to worship, to give thanks and adoration to you. Here we are. Here we are today. Lord, we want to remember our uh, men and boys who are traveling out to the Midwest today, flying and driving to Camparama. And Lord, we remember them. We remember them today as they travel. Holy Spirit, I pray you give them a powerful week. God, I, I pray that you would just speak life, speak clearly to each one from the youngest to the oldest on that trip. And in general, I pray that whole event with thousands of men and boys there. I pray you would protect it and bless it. God, make it a powerful week, a week that is stamped into the mind and spirit of many. Lord, I thank you for protection with weather, protection in every way possible. Bless them and be honored during this time. Lord, we thank you that we get to be together today and worship you. And I pray that in your great name, I pray that our heart would be today. Here I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, you did so well. You can, you can stand up because I'm going to have you just walk around in a minute. But you did so well last Sunday greeting each other. I mean, like really well. You guys were, looks like they'd never missed a beat. And, uh, but we want to take some time. Maybe there's someone you know, don't know behind you or, or in front of you. But God bless you guys. You take a few minutes and just greet each other today. All right, well, as you find your seat this morning, hey, if you are a guest with us today, let's give our guests a hand today. Just give them a hand. If you could do something for us, it would be a huge help. We have these Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. Whenever I say seat back, I think I'm on a plane somewhere. You have a seat back in front of you. But these are Connect cards. And uh, if you could fill these out, and at the conclusion of our service today, bring them to our guest services uh, center out there. Uh, they have a mug for you, and it gives us an opportunity to formally thank you for being able to be with us today. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. As the ushers prepare uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to be able to give. And I want to read a scripture. 
And I really do want to read it, I promise. 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at uh, chapter 9, verses 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result and thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. We talked about this in one of our studies on Wednesday night, but the reason that God gives an increase to us is for us to be able to be generous. And so maybe in your life, you know, God's really done something uh, special for you in the way of provision or in the way of generosity. This is a, a tangible, practical way to say, God, I remember uh, your generosity to, to me and thank you. And so let's pray this morning. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to worship your great name. Thanks for an opportunity to, to be able to give and be generous. And I pray a blessing over this offering. Again, let it accomplish the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
it's mine. Yes, it's mine. I've met the author of my story, and he's mine. Yes, it's mine. There is a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. I've met the author of my story. Hey, thank you, worship team, for your ministry to us today. We really, really appreciate that. And uh, hey, by the way, khaki and black guys over here, very nice. Yeah, I'm just trying to bring back sweater vests to the summertime. That's my goal. I want to bring back the sweater vests to the summertime. Not that I was ever in, but that's okay. Hey, announcements, if you have your bulletin, if you could grab that and have it in front of you. <clears throat> Again, pray for rangers at Camperama this week. Total of 18 going, uh, uh, actually are already out there. They've already landed. I think they're in their rental vehicle. They're already moving down. And I think they're going to the St. Louis Arch today. They're trying to hit a few things. And, uh, but make sure you're in prayer for them this week. And then also Wednesday night, our study continues. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And Pastor Brennan has been leading that study. It's been very good. And uh, make sure you come out at 7 p.m. this Wednesday. Ladies, the Illuminate 22 Women's Conference on November 11th and 12th is, everybody knows it's July, then it's like October, right? I mean, it's something that happens, unfortunately, but that's coming quickly. So make sure you see Jeannie or Sherry if you're interested in being a part of that. And if you haven't in the past, maybe you haven't been the past couple years for whatever reasons, I really encourage you, check that out and don't miss that opportunity. Okay. Now I usually pass it off to pastor, but I'm here. So um, anyways, hey, uh, we just if you can put your hands together, we have a first-time guest named Asher. Is he here somewhere? Asher's here. A little newborn from uh, Brian and Allison. Congratulations. I think this is his first Sunday here. I saw him this morning, and, uh, and anyways, he's a, he's a cutie for sure. So great to, great to be able to have you here. So we're talking about freedom. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about freedom, uh, one of the things I'd like to have freedom from is my iPad, because now my message, which just opened a minute ago, is saying waiting, and it doesn't want to open. And so why not? You know, that's kind of how things go. And uh, I might have to have somebody grab my paper notes after my desk. Um, but hold on here. Yes. Have no idea why it's not opening. It must be an important message. So could I have Hans go to my office? I have a paper copy, and that's why I do it on my desk. That would be a big help. I appreciate it. But we're talking about freedom today. And uh, when it comes to freedom, uh, I know Pastor had talked about it last week. But I want to talk about freedom in, in a little different light today, specifically freedom from one particular thing. Um, if, if, if I said this, I don't know, maybe if you're, you're a history buff, Maybe you are, um, uh, you were alive during this, this time period. I'm not sure, but, um, but maybe you can finish this quote for me. All we have to fear is fear itself. Fear itself. FDR, 
inaugural address, and uh, he, he basically, uh, during a very dark, thank you so much. Aren't you glad in life when you're prepared for the worst case scenarios that happen? And, uh, but during a very difficult time in, in the, the history of our nation, he said that and it became a famous, uh, a famous word about fear. And uh, that is the thing we may have to fear. Oh, that, that, that is the thing when it comes to fear that we don't have to fear but fear itself. But there are some fears in life, and maybe you can relate, maybe you've got them, you, you've had these fears. How many have fears that are, are kind of like, you know, of, of certain situations or things, you know, whether it be spiders or whatever? Okay. I, um, my right shoulder about a year and a half ago, um, I was doing push-ups, and about three days into doing them consecutively, I said, man, this doesn't feel like a normal like shoulder thing, like soreness. And all of a sudden, I couldn't even, I couldn't lift my hand like up here, you know? I'd be praising the Lord like this, you know? I was all weird. And so uh, I went to, uh, I had to get an MRI done, an open MRI. If you've ever had an MRI done, the only thing that's open is like there's an open end here and there's an open end there, that's it. And so I go in there, I lay on the table, and I go, and I'm, I'm not really thinking it's, it's a big deal. I go in, and they put me in like all the way, all the way, even though it's just my shoulder, they put me in like all the way to basically my hips. And that tunnel got really small. <laughs> Anybody relate to me? It got really tight. Yeah, maybe, maybe some of you, you, know, you here that are younger, you've had an MRI for an injury or something like that, or you're older, you've had one. And I'm telling you, I, you know how you can talk to the lady? I was like, are we done yet? How much, you know, how much longer? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to keep it together. And I'm thinking in my head, this isn't true. I'm going to rip this machine apart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bench press this machine. I don't care how much it weighs. And I'm going to tear my way like the Hulk out of here in about 10 seconds. Really not a fear I ever thought I'd really had because I'd never had one before. And, uh, you know, maybe you have fear of heights or different things like that. We're not talking about those kind of fears today. But I do want to talk about a fear that I believe is extremely powerful in the lives of people, believers and unbelievers alike. In this fear, I want to call it this, I'm just referring it to this, even though it's more broader than the, the initial words I'm going to use. I want to talk about the fear of man. Now, that's not just, you know, you're, you're afraid of men as a sex. You're afraid of people, the fear of people, but I'm going to call it the fear of man. And uh, uh, I'd like to challenge us to consider that there really is one antidote, one vaccine, one real solid permanent solution to the fear of man, the fear of people, and that is the fear of the Lord. And for some people, I've noticed over the years, talking about the fear of the Lord, and I know everybody's had a different experience with authority in their life. They've had a different experience with fathers. They've had a different experience with, with parents. And, and, and I completely respect and get that. The fear of the Lord, um, it, really, it really is what it says, the fear of the Lord, because, I mean, he's the one that can, can do anything. He's awesome in power and might and strength. 
You know, he's, you look through the scriptures and he's brought destruction on things. I mean, he's to be feared, but it's much broader than that. And that's your only narrow sliver of understanding on the fear of the Lord. You really need to expand that some. And you'll kind of understand that a little more as we go. And I'd like to, again, ask you to think about, consider the fact that if, if one of the freedoms that you lack in your life is the freedom from the fear of man, then the fear of the Lord is your solution. It's, again, your antidote. It's the thing that's going to help you and I be able to live a truly, truly free life. And I want to read from a passage. And uh, this passage is in, um, is in the book of Isaiah 51. And before I do, I want to expand kind of this definition of the fear of man. What does that kind of look like? You, you might be sitting here today and said, and say, hey, I'm not afraid of anybody, you know? I'm at a certain age now where I'm just not afraid of anybody, or, or I have a, a certain physical ability and I'm just not afraid of anybody, or intellectually I feel comf- confident in myself and I'm just not afraid. And just, just listen to this. This is, this is Ed Welsh, uh, a biblical author. And he, 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 this is a, a piece of a quote from, from a, a book he wrote, When People Are Big and God Is Small. It says, fear in the biblical sense is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of people, but extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people in an unhealthy way, or wrongfully needing people. However you put it, the fear of man can be summarized this way. And listen to this. This is the last part. We replace God with people. Instead of biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. And this is the, the enemy of freedom. If you've ever been controlled by somebody else, um, if you've ever had somebody try to control your life, or you've ever been uh, uh, in an unhealthy way dependent on somebody else, you realize that that really breaks freedom in your life instead of when you're fearing the Lord. And uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah lived in a very, he lived in a massive numerical period of time. Saw a lot of leaders come and go, good leaders, uh, evil leaders. And so here he is, Isaiah, and he writes in Isaiah 51, 12 and 13, these are the words of God through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 51, 12 and 13, and he speaks clearly to the heart of fear. And he says, I, this is is the Lord, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy, and laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to fear the anger of your enemies? Where is their fury and anger now? It is gone. And he's speaking again to a people that have had some of their greatest fears come true. Like Israel, maybe you can relate in your life, they had gone astray. They knew what to do. They knew um, what God required of them. 
They knew that, uh, that, that uh, the, the statutes he had set out, uh, they knew how they were to treat the poor. They knew how they were to treat each other. They knew all these things. But what happened is they went their own way. They knew they weren't supposed to worship the gods of the land that they had inherited, but they did. And so how many here, don't, please do not raise your hands, you've known what to do, but you did the opposite. Anybody, I doubt that a hand, even if I asked you to raise a hand, probably no hand would go up. But they knew what to do, and yet they did and went their own way. And some of their greatest fears had come true, and they're invaded, and they're taken over by another nation. It's so foreign to us, I think. You know, we've had, uh, we've had many years as a country where no one has invaded our shores for the history, really, of our nation, you know, for the most part. And it seems so foreign to us, but in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel, especially in the southern kingdom here, they realized that some of their greatest fears had come true. And uh, when it comes to these fears, when it comes to the fear of man, what does God say in this passage you just read? What does God say about these that we fear? In their case, it's this invading people. In their case, this is who it is. But in our case, it's, it's broader. Bring it to us. What does the passage we just read say to you and I about these people that, that we fear? Number one, it says, it called, God calls them mere humans. <laughs> mere humans. See, those Israel feared were less than God. They were just, just mere, just plain old, regular humans. It's a connotation of small, limited they're just humans. That's what they are. And this is uh, built on what he says when he, he says about them. They wither like grass and they disappear. You know, it's interesting in life because everyone has a season in life where you're important, you're needed, you are essential. And then people feel like they get to a place in their life where they're not as needed as much where they're not as essential as enough, uh, 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 in life as they once were. They're not the center or the core of a family or uh, uh, you know, a friendship group or whatever it might be. And, and we realize that our life goes in these cycles and then we, we're, we're strong, we're vital, we, are, uh, we contribute, we have all these things, and then people go through a season where they don't feel that anymore. And then as all of us know, as you've been to funerals and things like that, that eventually we fade away like grass. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. How many are realizing that in life? You know, it's how it is. Even those that are younger here, you know, it is fantastic to be young. Don't you ever wish away being young? It's a fantastic thing. It's a gift. It's a treasure. Praise God. But your day will come when you'll get these gray things in your beard you know, and, and things will happen like that where, where your 40 time isn't quite as fast as it used to be, you know, and, and that just happens in life. And so God is reminding these Israelites, these mere humans, uh, these people that are like grass and they, they wither and then they disappear. They're temporary. See, people are seasonal. Bullies in your life are seasonal. 
Does anybody remember a bully you had when you were a kid, whether you're a young man or a young woman now or you're older? Does anybody remember a bully you had? Was there a bully in your life? You can raise your hand if you want. There's a bully in your life. I'm the, literally the only person in this room who had a bully in their life. Okay, it's okay. It's fine, really. I'm good. So, yeah, bullies are seasonal. You know, when they're in your grade, sometimes they move away. Sometimes they get held back because they're too busy bullying people. And, you know, these things happen, but they're only seasonal. Maybe you get taller or, or you get wiser to them and challenge them, but it's only seasonal. Uh, toxic bosses, if you've ever had a very, 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 not only difficult, but just an impossible boss to work for. You know, it's probably going to be temporary, seasonal for a moment, for a time. Maybe you've had difficult neighbors near you that live behind you, next to you, in front of you, across the street, and you're like, oh my gosh. And they move, you know, or you move. You just, I'm done with this, and you, you take off. It's seasonal, it's for a time. Even opposition you face in general, even though in the middle of it you feel like, man, this is going to last forever, it usually doesn't. It passes. See, these humans, these that wither like grass and disappear. They're dependent on outside nutrients and conditions to survive. Look at your grass outside. Uh, how many wish you could like mow your yard one time and then like done for the season? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I went out to uh, California visit. Uh, our family went to California visit my brother and sister who live in Southern California, halfway between LA and, and San Diego. And my brother, he has a large home, but he doesn't have um, a big yard at all. And so he's like, man, he just put down green turf everywhere. Whether it was grass, he just ripped it up, put whatever he needed to put down, put turf. And, and uh, I, I mocked him. I ridiculed him because he had a guy come over and blow his, his turf off of the blower. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I think I called him princess. I don't know what I did. But I said, really? Really? And, uh, but yeah, so, you know, uh, but, but your grass outside, it needs water. It needs the right soil and conditions. It needs sun or shade. It needs the right temperatures. It's, it's conditional. You know, people, people in your life, you know, that, are, that you may feel fear concerning. They need the right position. They need, they need the fear from others. They, have, they need their own insecurities. And even, even, even God, as good as he is, because the rain falls on the just and the unjust, you know, he, he even provides for them, and he, they need all that too. But the reality is they're like grass, they disappear. They're not eternal or lasting. One day they will disappear. If you travel the world, you see the remains of kingdoms that are now gone. If you go uh, to Europe and you visit a castle and you'll see, you know, once a great person lived here with tremendous influence and power. And now where are they? Now, like... Anybody can buy a ticket and walk through their place and check it out. You know, uh, great battle scenes where nations conquered nations. And again, now you put on, you put in like, you know, your, your, your earbuds and you can listen to a walking tour of it or whatever. It's just, it's incredible how fleeting people are. And God's reminding us of this. And this, these couple verses here, he's reminding, he says, why are you so overwhelmed by mere mortals, mere people that are like grass and that grows up and they're something else and then they wither away and you would never know they were ever there. Consider the fears of your past. 
They're like a faint memory. If you, if you really think about what were the things you were afraid of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, do you even remember? Some of them you may because they were significant, but do you remember? Were they fears that you had for a little while and it just kind of went away? That's kind of how fear works. So he talks about the fact that they're temporary, that they're, they're mere mortals and they're like grass and they disappear. He also talks about what they bring to you, which is against freedom in every way, is that constant dread. The constant dread that Isaiah speaks about here. See, it's their secret power is in the threatened future they promise. They may not say it in their words, but boy, if I do this, they're going to do that. If I don't do what they want, then this is going to happen. And that fear becomes a constant dread in your life. Some of you experience it at work. Some of you experience it at home. Some of you experience it in your family dynamic in general. But it's a constant dread. And he says this. God challenges him. He says, will you remain, will you remain in constant dread? It's a very difficult place to remain. To have a moment of fear, you know, and then you escape out of a dangerous situation, that's actually good. Fear is actually good. Fear can keep you from doing stupid things and hurting yourself or having yourself killed or, or be harmed in some way. So fear is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a powerful, necessary emotion. Have you ever met somebody who's not fearless, who is fearless rather? And they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff and you're thinking, what are they thinking? They're actually not thinking and they're just, they're just, they're just doing everything, you know, jumping into everything without even looking. But there's a constant dread here that he talks about. And uh, it affects, this dread affects planning, affects our ability to think ahead, affects our faith, our, our hope, our movement, our gratefulness, because this dread just weighs on people's lives. It's a dread of their anger. Their anger may come out at us as words, as action, as violence, as silence. How many, when you're mad at somebody, you give them the silent treatment? Yeah, have you ever done that? You just, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to kill you with my silence. That's what you do. I'm not saying any, who. Someone in my home may do that. I don't know. I've heard that. I'm going to get you with silence. I'm going to get you with silence. It's powerful. Silence, really? Then, then you go, really, we're just going to be silent? Is that what we're going to do? Silence. It's powerful. Sometimes for people it's threats or, da or, or danger, or, or, or rather not danger, uh, damage in some way that they're going to damage reputation or whatever. But, but there's this, that their anger may come out and somehow do something to our lives. And God says about them that they are temporary at best and their power over us is a threat. Not an actual thing they do, but a threat that they pose. And this can be very daunting, very real, very paralyzing, very influencing. But this is in contrast to what God says about himself and why we should fear him. Because I'm, 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 I'm wanting you to consider this. That the antidote, the solution to the fear of man, fear of people is the fear of the Lord. There's something about the fear of the Lord. And again, it's not, it's not we just walk around in terror. And you know, I mean, God can do anything. He can just wipe everything out. He can do it all. And that's a, a part of the fear of him because we realize his, his awesomeness, his greatness, his might, his power. 
But again, it's much, much more than that. And it may be a little different than you think. When when we think of fearing God, I'm going to bring up some things that you may not typically think of that would cause you to to fear the Lord or would would be things that people do that fear the Lord. But, But just hear me out here. He says this, when, so he, he, he makes the point of who we fear, who the nation of Israel is fearing, okay, and about them a little bit, their temporariness, all these things. Then he says this, bringing himself in contrast. He says, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. It's kind of a weird, I'm the one that comforts you. So I'm afraid of all these, these nations. You know, the people of Israel are afraid of these nations and people that are like grass and they wither. And I live in dread of them and all these things. And he says, hey, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. He doesn't promise angels doing it. He even reveals himself as the comforter in the book of John and the book of Acts, his spirit. He says, I am the one that comforts you. So what does God's comfort look like? This is, this is a part of how God Part of how God develops in us a fear, an awe, a wonder at who he is through his comfort. This is what it looks like, though. Number one, when it, when it comes to God uh, comforting us, it looks like this in Isaiah 66, 13. He says, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. See, one of the ways that God's comfort looks, it looks like tenderness. Now, I couldn't help. I was sitting in, in, in a life group this morning. I was sitting there, and I, I saw Allison there. She was sitting to my left. And uh, not in a creepy way. I always like to, I watch these moms with their newborns. It's, it's pretty amazing. Like, if I had a newborn, I'd be like, hi, you little blob of flesh. How are you? I love you. Like, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I, I can be tender, I guess, in my own guy way. But there's nothing like seeing a mom with their newborn. And I get it. everybody has a different experience. Some people were so, they had their baby and they just felt like garbage. You felt depressed and struggled and you didn't even like your kid for a few months. And, and, and that's, that's very real. But in general, if you take it in general, though, there's something about the tenderness of a mother. And uh, I just you know, watched and she was just kind of helping him. He was crying a little bit. And God shows us his comfort. He gives us a picture. He says, like a, like a mother comforts her child. The love of a mom is unique. It is special. It is very critical to a child. God shows us comfort and tenderness. Number two, God shows us comfort in being close, closeness. Psalm 23, 4 says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In general, I have attempted to raise my children in a way when they have problems with teachers and bosses at work to give them a little direction and let them do it. You need to deal with authority in your life. There's no time like now to practice. And so I haven't been their advocate to step up and be like, why are you treating my kids so bad? You know, why are you not, you know, why are you not, why didn't you give them a raise? No one needs that parent. No one needs that parent, and your child does not need that parent. They need a child who can handle themselves, speak up for themselves, and so I've attempted to do that. There was one instance, though, just one time, 
When my oldest daughter was put into a dangerous, uh, she was working on the water, um, on the Sassafras, and she was put in a very dangerous situation very unnecessarily. And when I heard what happened, the thing that got me was when she went to her boss and said, listen, I was terrified. You had me do this, and I didn't know what I was doing, and it was very dangerous, and blah, 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 blah. He was very dismissive. Well, then maybe you don't need to work here. Well, okay, when I heard that part, I mean, you know, your boss can treat you like whatever, and you deal with it, and you work through it. And uh, I, I didn't say a word to her. I just heard about it. I know this guy. I went down. He's an older man, so I'm not going to slap him or do anything crazy. But he's an older man. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey. And, and I described the situation. I said, is this accurate? Yep. And I really challenged him. You know, she's 17 years old and blah, blah, blah. We went back and forth. He was really a jerk. But, you know, it's his business. And uh, we hashed it out a little bit. And I remember talking to Hannah afterwards. And it just meant everything. This wasn't my intention. My intention was to try to set things right. But what it inadvertently had done is she felt like, man, my dad's there to protect me. And aren't we there as parents and grandparents? You want to protect those that you love. That's an important part of parenting and being a grandparent. One of the ways that God comforts us is he is close. He's close by. Even when I walk through the dark valley, I'll not be afraid because you are close beside me. Number three, what does God's comfort look like? It looks like justice. Isaiah 61.2 says, He has sent me to tell you, to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. You know, we can find comfort in the fact that when you're wronged, when things go poorly, when someone uh, attacks your life in some way, that God sees what's going on and God will make it right. On occasion, he makes it right in this life, or at least partially right. Oftentimes, we don't know when he'll make it right. We don't know what he's working and what he's doing and everything, but we can be confident that our God is just and he will make things right. And there's a comfort in that, to know that God has got my back he is a God of justice. The next one is that when it comes to God's comfort, it said it's renewable. There's a lot of talk about renewable energy. God's comfort is renewable. Psalm 94, 19 says, when doubt fills my mind, you, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. When, you're, when, you're, when my mind was filled with doubt, your comfort gave me renewed hope and renewed cheer. His comfort brings a new perspective, a new outlook. Not only is it renewed in that way, it renews us, but it does this. 2 Corinthians 1.4, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. One of the ways that God comforts us or what his comfort looks like is it's a renewable comfort where it renews us and then it gives us the ability to bring comfort to someone else. If God has comforted you through a loss 
If God has comforted you through a job a situation that was very difficult, if he has comforted you through uh, parenting and challenging issues, you have something, because God's given you comfort, you have something to give to someone else. So one of the ways that God is opposite of the mere mortals, the mere humans that are like grass, and they wither, and they disappear, and they have all kinds of threats, one of the ways God is different and one of the ways we develop the fear of God is when he brings comfort to us, boy, it makes us stand in awe of him. Because, again, he brings tenderness. He brings closeness. He brings justness. And he renews us. And you guys should put a, a, a new uh, awe of him, a fear of him in our lives. Another way that God uh, develops that fear of himself in our lives is found in verse 13. And it says this, Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the skies like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. What a picture. Literally, he just stretched out the sky like a canopy. Like he just, just boom. You know, I'm about six feet from fingertip to fingertip. You know, God just stretched it out. Boom. You know, and the universe is there. His power, his might. And then the foundations, what we... We stand on. He, like, he laid those. Like a master craftsman, he laid those. But he says this, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? How many just forget sometimes things? It's just happening in your life. You, you forget to get milk on the way home. You forget somebody's birthday. You forget to say thank you. You forget whatever it might be. God points out our biggest challenge. We forget so easily. Pastor mentioned it a few weeks ago about our, our nation is that one of the things we do, and I don't think it just belongs to our nation, but we're guilty of it here, is we forget. We forget things in the past and how things went down. And sometimes we repeat the same challenges, repeat the same mistakes because we so easily forget. The Lord is our creator. He's the founder. He's the brains behind all of this. It's what he is. He stretched out the sky like a canopy. Every, everything we look up at. Any sunset fans in here? You know, some of you are sunrise fans. You know, you like to get up super early, catch the sunrise. But sunsets around here, especially on the water, over that way, incredible sunsets. Incredible. All that beauty. Uh, all that wonder. All that possibility. All the provision of rain and sun that comes from the sky. He is the one that developed and created all of that. Laying the foundations of the earth, where we stand, what gives us stability, where we get our food and our water. He's the one that provided that. Again, the fear of man, we're fearing people that are mere, that are just simple here today, gone tomorrow, have all kinds of threats, have all kinds of promises, have all kinds of of maybe evil intent in your situation that you've, people you've run across. And there's all these things, and we fear them. We change our plans because of them. We walk on the other side of the street because of them. We avoid them because of them. We make decisions based on them instead of the fear of God. That's not freedom. That's not freedom for those that follow Christ, that... that that call him Savior, that call him Lord. So if experienced freedom from fear rests 
and the reality that those we fear are temporary, subject to weakness, and God is there bringing comfort, which is a part of him teaching us the fear of him, that he can handle anything, that he can do anything. And his eternal power, the fact that he created the skies and the earth. Where do I go from here? How do I make this a reality in my life, a life free from the fear of man or people? How do I do that? What are some, what are some things I can do to work with God? Have you ever said that to somebody? Hey, work with me, you know? Maybe, maybe you're, you're buying a car and they're like, hey, man, work with me here. You know, they want you to give a little and they'll give a little. You know, we don't know how that works, but you know, work with me here. If you've ever actually worked with somebody, there are some people you work with, it's like your brains are together. You grab this, they grab that. It's like a, it's like a, a ballet. There are other people you work with, you feel like you're working against them. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, oh, like everything's clunky and you know, they're handing this to you and you're like, oh, I, I usually grab it with that hand and it's just awkward. How do we work with God? I'm going to mention the scriptures, but there are no scriptures for the screen. How do I work with God to grow the fear of the Lord in my life? Because the reality is, the truth is, is that um, it's something we learn. It's something we learn. Number one, one of the ways you can work with God to develop the fear of the Lord in your life. Number one, be grateful. 1 Samuel 12, 24 but be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. The word think, meditate, remember, maybe even write down, talk about among your family and friends. Testify to. Some of you grew up in a day in, in the life of the church when... You know, Sunday nights were opportunities for testimony. You would, someone would share something God's been doing in their life. You know, I think testimonies in general, those are powerful. Those don't need to go away. We can testify to each other. Boy, I'll tell you, this situation looked like this, and I really prayed, and God heard me, and, and, and this is how it worked out, a way I hadn't seen before. But we, te we testify. We tell about what God has done. We speak about it. We share all he has done. One of the great ways you can be a witness, you don't have to know every Bible verse. You don't have to know every strategy. One of the ways that you can be a, a, a living testimony to people around you that don't believe is just share them. Boy, I tell you, this situation happened. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I sat down, I talked to God, and then, boy, you know, a month later or a year later, this is what happened, you know? And, and, and sharing what God's done in your life. So be grateful. One of the ways you can work with God, developing the fear of the Lord in your life. Number two, be teachable. Second Chronicles 26.5. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear the Lord, to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah was the king, but he had to learn. And in Deuteronomy 17, is interesting, the commandment in Deuteronomy 17 is that the king was to write down the law and then to keep that copy with him for the rest of his reign, the rest of the time he reigned, as a reminder that he may be king, but there is a king greater than him. And there was a law that he had to uphold. And so here, here's, here's Uzziah learning, and he, he's learning from that. Uh, he, he's learning from, from Zechariah this. 
And uh, the fear of the Lord is something that we learn from small when you're young. You know, these boys that are heading out to uh, Camp Rama, they're, they're going to be learning something about God. They're going to be teachable, learning something about the Lord. And uh, maybe there's some of you here, you actually know everything. <clears throat> I don't know, just a couple of, maybe, maybe there's someone out here, I don't know. And that's why you've really never grasped the fear of the Lord, because you think you have all the answers. You think you know everything. And you think you've got everything buttoned up, tied up. And because of that, really, you've never experienced the fear of God, and you really struggle with true freedom. One of the ways we can work with God growing in the fear of the Lord is to be grateful. And number two, be teachable. And the last one, be a servant. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You know, one of the ways you develop the fear of the Lord is every situation you're in, you remember, I'm doing this for Christ. I'm doing this extra stuff I wasn't planning on doing at work for the Lord. There's a new attitude. It's hard. When you're in the moment and you're frustrated uh, with a spouse or you're frustrated with a child or you're frustrated with the guy next door to put the fence in wrong or you're frustrated with whoever, when you're frustrated with that, it's very difficult in that moment. To think, hey, you know, the work I'm doing right now, I'm really doing it for, for Christ. I'm really doing it for him. But when you're a servant at home, at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, you display a reverent fear of the Lord because ultimately you are serving him. The fear of the Lord. Maybe you're here today and again, some of you, some of you might say, I just don't battle with that. It's not my struggle. I don't really fear people. I don't care what people think. I think if you really consider that, thought about that, are there times in your life where you've not chosen where you believe the Holy Spirit was asking you to move or act or do out of fear for people? Now, I understand some decisions are appropriate for a moment. They're not immoral decisions, and we acquiesce and, and you know, give in in a situation that's appropriate. Can't always have our way and what we want to do. But are there critical things in your life that may be out of a fear of loss of relationship with a child, a decision you've made, and you just feel like, you know, you've just kind of, because of your fear of a person, you've given that up instead of the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is the antidote to the fear of man, which is the enemy of freedom. Uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's nothing like freedom. There's nothing like it. When you came to know Christ and you had those moments or times or seasons when you realized the weight of your sin was gone, the lightness you walked around in in those moments, there's nothing like freedom. Ask many people in the world. There's nothing like freedom. And what an incredible freedom God has made available to us. So whatever your situation, wherever you're at, wherever you're facing, I would encourage you today Boy, if the fear of people 
is really inhibiting you, the way to deal with that is to develop, encourage the fear of God in your life. And watch what God does. Watch what he works in you. Watch what he changes in you. Amen? I want to pray, and then Pastor Brandon's going to come. And what a great way to wrap up our time together than to remember the body and the blood of Christ and his sacrifice for us. Lord, I want to thank you <coughs> for today. I thank you for the freedom that you bring. I thank you for the fear of the Lord. And, and we have not exhausted the fear of the Lord today, but we have touched on two things that help us develop, grow the fear of you in our lives, Lord. And that's seeing how you comfort us. Your comfort is not just to make us stop crying. Your comfort is to do something inside of us that cause us to stand in, in awe and wonder of who you are. When you comfort us, it changes us. When you comfort us, it does something in us that causes us to see you as you really are and causes the fear of you to be developed in our life. Lord, we also see your greatness, your power, your might. There is literally nothing you cannot do. And Lord, when we see that, we stand in awe of you and we stand in wonder of you. Lord, I pray that in this room that we would not live our lives by the fear of people, but we would live, choose, decide by the fear of God. And that we would want to honor you with every speck of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead if you, if you want to prepare your communion emblems. Uh, we, we, we read this scripture quite often, and this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and you know they've been improperly celebrating the Lord's Supper, people are getting drunk, they're eating, the poor are left out. And so Paul is bringing correction. And this is found in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. And I often go to the message version. I know it's not King James, it's, but it, I don't want to this come out wrong. It dumbs it down a little bit. And, and sometimes that's what I need. And I think that's what the Corinthians needed. But this version says this. This is Paul writing. He says, let me go over with, this, with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This is my, my blood in the new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Paul goes on to say what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. And listen to this. He says, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. And having just, uh, if you don't know, I spoke last month at, at communion, and I always think, what new am I going to add? What am I going to be able to say that's going to be better than last time? Like I've got to, God doesn't need me to add anything. What Jesus Christ has done for each one of us is more than enough. And so here am I thinking this, and I read that verse, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. 
And oftentimes, these emblems and this act that we're about to do can just become a ritual. We know first Sunday of the month, I know this is not the first Sunday, we try to do first Sunday of the month, that's when we do it. And we come in and I, I want to continue on in these verses, but it becomes a formality at this point. And so Paul writes this, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? So Paul cautions them and us as well, and he goes on to say this, examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal, and how many times did Pastor Hans say it? In holy awe. In holy awe. So as we, as we approach and we come to this, to take the time to examine our motives. Lord, why, why am I doing this? Am I coming, if I'm looking at my heart, am I coming from the right place? And Lord, if not, right now, can we just take a moment? Lord, forgive us. Lord, whatever we may have on our minds and or in our hearts, our concerns of the day already, Lord God, may we take this moment and so, Lord, say, examine us. Test our hearts, Lord God. And may we approach this time in holy awe. In Jesus' name. So he breaks it down very simply. And he says, this is my body. If you'll take your bread, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, do this in remembering me. Let's partake of the bread. It says, after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Let's partake. The act that we just did is very simple. It's very simple. It's not difficult. But the weight of the reality behind these emblems needs to be heavy upon our lives. That we recognize what Jesus Christ has done. What Pastor Hans talked about today and what he's doing in our lives, we need to recognize and acknowledge God in all that he has done. So we just stand together today as we close. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, what an awesome event. Not as the world considers things awesome, Lord. You are truly awesome. Lord, and we come before you reverently and in fear of the Lord. We recognize and humbly say thank you. Thank you. Lord, what more could I add to that? What more could I say? But Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Lord, thank you for the time that we've been able to gather. I pray that we are encouragement to one another as we, as we go our separate ways. Lord, that we take your word with us as we walk out the doors. Father, we again want to remember the men and the boys that are away on this trip. Lord, that you would, yes, allow them to have a great time. But Father, grip their hearts, we pray, as they spend time around the altar, Lord God, in worship and praise. I pray that you would... Speak to the young men, Lord God, the men as well, but Lord, these young men, as they're preparing to be young adults in manhood. 
Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, be with us now. Be with our health and, and all of the things that we go through, Lord, every day. And Lord, we count it a privilege and a blessing to have been in your presence today. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you as you go today.